bringing Bob Iaccino, the founder of the Chief Strategist for Path Trading Partners. He's joining us to talk commodities. Bob, good morning to you. I want to begin with crude oil right back to the $100 level this week. Some uncertainty about the Nord Stream pipeline uh, and uh, Russia in terms of uh, uh, flows through it. Can you talk to us about what's the latest and what you're hearing? Yeah, so they've committed to turning back on Nord Stream after this expected maintenance. Again, the maintenance was not a surprise. It wasn't a move by Russia. It was planned and expected for quite a while. But there's still some little uh, things that have to be worked out with this Nord Stream. They're turning it back on. Take a country like Germany, for example. Germany has enough gas. Well, the EU in general has enough natural gas in reserves if Nord Stream is running to make it through the winter. So Russia, I think, has a real trump card. I'm not a military strategist. I don't know how they would play it or if they're going to play it or what the ramifications would be. But the nervousness that you see in crude oil as well as in natural gas is due to Russia holding all the cards coming into the winter. There are still some EU countries that heat exclusively with heating oil. The summer driving season demand has not slowed, not even one bit, even with the higher prices, and we've got gas coming down a little bit. So there's really no expectation that that should turn around. However, crude oil has some weakness built into future demand destruction. So there's a little bit of confusion here. I'm still uh, negative crude oil in the short term and positive crude oil in the medium to long term. At least that's where I sit. I don't have a position in it. But this Nord Stream situation, I'll give you an example. Russia said this morning that Siemens is supposed to send them a letter that they received a turbine to complete repairs. They haven't done that yet. Why Russia would make that public? Yeah. To give a reason to possibly yeah. shut it down again. Yeah. Hmm. That seems uh, a bit concerning, somewhat suspect of that news. I appreciate you filling us in on the latest. We're looking at crude oil right now, actually, and how, well, again, just below 100, but we saw $100 again yesterday, and we're coming off the $90 level that we saw uh, just last week. Um, Bob, talk to us about, uh, you mentioned, again, uh, the future demand destruction that, uh, you know, has been priced in here. We're actually looking at that, again, most recently a lower high, 130 back in March, recently up around 123 prior to that uh, move lower that we just saw to $90. Um, I mean, you tying that into kind of the uh, demand destruction, as you mentioned, the uh, concerns related to we've got the yield curve inverted, potential for recession or basically just economy slowing in general. Yeah, that's the short term demand destruction. You can see on that chart the very common uh, thing that people look for are lower lows and lower highs. Mm -hmm. And we're clearly seeing that on the crude oil chart. Um, I had talked about, I think it was on your show, that I had turned negative toward the end of June on crude oil, and that hasn't changed. But we are nearing areas where a breakout back up could be possible. Again, it's not likely to happen with recession fears embedded in the yield curve the way they are, and with us, that even though we're not at the end of the summer driving season, we're through the brunt of it. I mean, we're on the downslope of that particular season, which you sort of mark at the 4th of July as sort of being the downturn. And seasonal tailwinds, I'm sorry, headwinds to crude oil, seasonal ones, which would apply to the summer driving season, are generally the third week of July, where you start to see some of the speculators not expect demand to grow at least. You know, it isn't necessarily a situation of, uh, you know, it's gonna slow dramatically, but you wouldn't expect it to grow. Your traders want to look at a weekly chart on crude oil. You see it very much there, uh, how we've got this big double top on a weekly basis that could trigger. And if that double top were to trigger, measured move targets on that are in the mid-60s for crude oil price. So obviously, it's a technical pattern, doesn't guarantee anything. 
Uh, and it's probably somewhere, well, I'm not going to mention a probability, but it's above 50% that it would hit at least its first target, which is in the low 80s. We can pull this chart here, Bob. Uh, we do have the weekly time frame ready. And again, we see that well-defined trend off the pandemic lows, a couple areas of consolidation that formed. We're talking migration of value to the upside and a very well-defined one right now. We're talking 130, the upper extreme. Again, that lower extreme being the $90 level, basically. Um, let's shift gears here and talk a little bit about metals because, and I'll pull the chart in a second, what has me a little bit concerned is the decline we've seen in copper. I wonder if it's a precursor for, as you mentioned, some of this demand destruction here, potential uh, for that, that is in terms of crude oil. Well, certainly you're looking at uh, recessionary implications in copper. You know, I kind of make fun of the Dr. Copper thing because it's just such an old cliche. Yeah. And for those of people that don't know at this point, maybe there's some new viewers, they call it Dr. Copper because it's supposed to have a PhD in economics, <laughs> meaning it's prescient of the direction of the economy. Direction of copper tells you the direction of the economy. Now, I don't think that's held true very much ever since copper became a transactional metal in China. So you could actually stockpile copper when it's cheaper so that you could spend it as money in places like mainland China down the road. But still, this particular move in copper has to be concerning to anyone who thought there would not be a global recession. Now, let's take that out to the global picture. China is still struggling with their zero COVID policy right. with no signs of abandoning it at this point. So if they go into further lockdowns for whatever reason, testing or case builds up, case builds up, you know, we have case build up here in the U.S. as well. Cases are rising, but at a slow pace, mm -hmm. enough so that the CDC here doesn't feel any need to lock anything down or even mandate masks again. In China, they could potentially do that at any point. The minute they see an uptick in cases, I know they were talking about locking down in Shanghai again because cases had jumped to 69 cases. Now, they didn't do it, but that sort of policy implies that China, who had a negative GDP figure last week, can't forget that. That's pretty shocking. If you go over the last 10, 12 years of China's GDP, there were numbers like 10%, 9% that were common in GDP growth. Now they had a negative one. So global recession hurts copper the most. If we have a U.S. recession, okay, fine, there'll be a slower demand for copper. If you have a global recession, uh, copper would still have more downside to go from where it is now. You know, and it's not just demand, Bob. As you say all that, I'm reminded of the fact that we also have this strong U.S. dollar. While it is off the 109 highs we saw last week, still at, uh, you know, basically 20-year highs. Yeah, copper, the dollar, I should say, working on only its second down week in the previous eight. So that's pretty dramatic. And it doesn't look like we're going to have a race to the bottom in terms of currencies. It just looks like the U.S. dollar is going to stay strong and things like the euro and the British pound are going to race to the bottom. Now, the euro specifically, obviously, when you look at the basket of currencies, the euro is the largest representative of the other side of the dollar index trade. And it should be. It's the pair that's traded the most against the U.S. dollar in terms of volume. That parity number went away in the short term on the euro currency future, but it doesn't look like we would be uh, avoiding that parity number given whatever happens to the ECB meeting this week. That ECB central bank meeting is critical. There's talk of 50 basis point rate hikes, and as of right now, the European Union has a slightly lower year-over-year -year inflation rate than the U.S. does. But if we go into a natural gas crisis in the winter, that is horrendous, and that certainly doesn't leave the ECB in a position where they should be raising rates, because you would literally run out of natural gas in certain countries. In, imagine January with no natural gas or December in Germany. 
I mean, that's about the most recessionary thing I could think of. People are already going to be cold in their homes. They're not going to be going out and propping up the economy. Yeah, we were talking about some of the difficulties or the tough position that the ECB is in right now. Lastly, uh, Bob, talk to us about, uh, about what you're watching as far as gold. It's uh, a swift retreat, again, tied to the dollar strength, one could argue, back down below 1,700 and just kind of holding around this level right now. Um, just not necessarily performing the way you'd expect it to with the indices posting new lows for the year, you know, in terms of that fear factor component or that beneficiary thereof in terms of safe haven, it wasn't the recipient of. And again, faced with the headwinds from the U.S. dollar, I guess you can understand why it's hanging out these lower levels. And speaking of uh, lower levels, I mean, it's, uh, you know, at a lower extreme, much like crude oil in many ways, uh, one of, on the weekly time frame, a key area of support right now. Yeah, I think gold's story is going to be complicated by the seasonalities as well. Gold is about to go into one of its weakest seasonal periods okay. of the year, which is late July throughout August, and then it peaks again. You remember that there's demand for physical gold in late June, early July. Strange as it sounds, it's a wedding season in parts of Asia, China, India, and that is still a very desired gift for things like weddings and big anniversary celebrations. So you actually get this weird seasonal demand effect in June and July based off the physical demand, demand for jewelry. And that goes away at the end of July and it goes away in a big way. So we've got a seasonal headwind here. And as you mentioned, you know, you're not talking about the printing of money if we're going into a recession, right? Um, I'm sorry, you're not talking about the, the tightening of rates if we're going into a recession. So I suspect if the recession fears become concrete and the Fed has to pivot, remember a pivot to me is not going to neutral, it's going to easy monetary policy mm -hmm. again. Mm -hmm. If they go to neutral, that's a pause. So if they turn to easy monetary policy again, then I think you could see gold and in a lesser degree silver recover at a much stronger rate. And I don't think that's gonna happen during this period of seasonal weakness. So that's really the key. You've got kind of two headwinds. You mentioned the dollar strength, and then you take the seasonality. It's difficult to put in a buy order for gold. Yeah, you know, our last guest, uh, our earlier guest mentioned that around the fourth quarter of next year, the easing or uh, uh, of the rate hikes or ultimately cutting even, I think he said, uh, were his thoughts in terms of the fourth quarter of next year. Uh, lastly, Bob, talk to us about Bitcoin right now. A lot of attention as it gets a lift off uh, lower levels. But speaking of kind of range bound, it has been, uh, you know, hovering around this 20,000 level again, uh, showing signs of uh, potentially trying to bottom, but really still struggling to take out anything significant that was established on the way down off the November highs up around 69K. Yeah, as of yesterday, we had five consecutive days higher for Bitcoin. And I think the, the Bitcoin uh, sort of proponents really called that a bottom. I don't see it as a bottom. I see it as stability. Okay. And I actually think the stability is a good thing for holders of Bitcoin. My issue with Bitcoin is that there's still some uh, stable coin issues to work mm -hmm. through. Mm -hmm. And then we go right back to the case of adoption after that. And, you know, given some of the problems with uh, things like Celsius and Luna, uh, adoption now has just become that much harder because the trust level has dropped. So it's going to be difficult. You know, you look at that resistance that we have uh, start of July for Bitcoin, that's not going to be easy to break through. And while we're looking at this particular chart that's up on the screen right now, uh, this looks like more of a sell rallies than a buy dips type of a situation. It has a very big and very clean double top you're showing. And the extension of that takes us down into sort of the 9,000 handle, which that nine to 14,000 area is where I've been telling the TD audience for a long time, I'd probably buy and hold again, not necessarily trade it. But I've been trading Bitcoin a little bit from the short side. 
Bitcoin, very much like being short the ES, uh, the S&P futures, uh, the rip your face off rally, as we've called them for 30 years, uh, could come pretty quickly. A bear market rally in equities would come pretty quickly and a snapback for Bitcoin would come pretty quickly. So I've been very, very cautious about those positions. Bob, appreciate you joining us here uh, to help us uh, take a look at some of the commodities, the price activity, and get our noses pointed in the right direction ahead of the cash open here uh, this Wednesday morning. Bob Aicino, the founder of the Chief Strategist Path Trading Partners.